Hello, welcome back to the online weekend experience, as Seth has said. My name is Steve, and it's so good to have you here back on the internet, at least for a little while longer. And I just have a few things to uh, mention this weekend. And so firstly, uh, I wanna talk about um, an upcoming virtual course that we're going to be having. This is a course that we've had in the past, and it's called Discovering Local and Global Missions, okay? As we think about how we can impact our community and our world, we wanna share with you some things that we have learned along the way and how we can go about doing that, okay? So we're gonna talk a lot about why do local missions, why do global missions, and actually why um, um, we use different language to talk about that, okay? So if that's something that interests you, if um, you uh, are interested in how we can continue to uh, impact our local and global uh, world for missions for Jesus, um, then please, would you sign up for this course? Join us online. We're gonna have a Zoom meeting that you can sign up for. Um, at the bottom of our main page, you can find that on upcoming events to sign up for, and we'll, we'll have that four-week course. You can join me and some of our other Give It Away leaders as we talk about how we can impact the world locally and globally for um, getting the gospel, the good news of Jesus, out to the world as Jesus has called us to do. And so what a great time to do that as there is more opportunity than ever to impact um, both our community and our world uh, for Jesus, bringing the hope of Jesus to uh, the world. So would you please join us for that? And really, that's it. So all other happenings, though, um, you can check out all the other things going on um, at our website. Just spend a few minutes uh, checking out the website and the various web pages and our social media outlets to see what's going on. Keep connected with us. Um, reach out to your life group and join a life group and connect with us that way as well. So for this weekend, though, we are going to be continuing in our conversation, this really awesome conversation. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as we have, but this conversation around emotions, okay? And so thanks for joining us again for this online weekend experience. Um, as we always say, we love you so much, and we are so looking forward to seeing you again in person. Take care. Well, thanks for joining us in week five of our series called Emotions. And as you may guess, in this series, we are talking about emotions. And what we've said, uh, you know, kind of throughout this series is that a big, huge part of what it means to be a human being is to feel that we as humans feel and we experience emotions, but our emotions can be kind of confusing. Some of us feel like emotions are really super important and they're a part of, our, of every, every aspect of our lives and our decision making. Others of us feel like, you know what, we got to suppress our emotions. We can't let our feelings guide us. And so they can be really confusing. We all experience them, them differently. And so what we've been doing in the series is looking at the Bible and saying, man, what, what does the Bible have to say about this confusing topic that we all experience? We need to try to untangle uh, our emotions. And so just to quickly summarize what we've said uh, up to this point is that emotions are from God and are good. That we were made in the image of God. We reflect his personality, his character, his nature, and our emotions are right there. God is an emotional God and we as creatures made in his image reflect that. We've also said that emotions reveal our values and our affections, that emotions clarify what's important to us. They help us see clearly what we value or the things that we have an affection for. And we've also said that emotions are intended to move us in a direction, that they don't just leave us stagnant and standing still, but they really mobilize us to action. 
And so these are really cool and good things. Emotions are actually really, really important. But what we've said is that ever since Genesis 3, there's been a, a, a kind of fracture in our understanding and in our experience of emotions. In Genesis 3, sin enters the world. And, and ever since then, ever since this sin has fractured our understanding of ourselves and God, our emotions have been miscalibrated. And so now what happens is our emotions can lead us into some really uh, dangerous uh, and really painful places. And, and maybe even in your life you've experienced some kind of negative or hurtful things that you can look back and say, man, an emotion really had an impact on that. Maybe uh, fear or anxiety or maybe even observing the joy of someone else has caused you to experience pain. And so what we're saying is we want to look at the Bible and see what it has to say about emotions. And we'd also like to say, if you've missed any part of this series, any, any part of the different messages, it would be really cool for you to go back uh, and check those out because uh, emotions play a huge, a huge role in our lives. Now today, we're going to talk about the emotion of anger. And I think that this is an extremely impo important emotion uh, to explore. See, anger, it, it plays a huge and vital role in all of our lives. And how we understand and interact with anger is maybe even more important than we might, than we might realize. And in, in preparation for this series, or in preparation for this message today, I've learned some really, really paradigm-shifting things about the emotion of anger. I've learned that understanding anger in, in a healthy way and in a biblical way is necessary for a healthy life. And so I just want to start out with a quick definition slash emoji of anger, because that's how I roll. Here we go. So anger is an emotion, it's an emotional state that may range in intensity from mild irritation to intense fury and rage. And so maybe you would self-identify with the kind of more mild anger guy, or maybe you're jiving with Cussy McRage face over there, I don't know where you're at, but I definitely have become more familiar with the full, the full spectrum uh, as the past few months uh, have unfolded. For example, in January uh, of this year, I started out maybe kind of over more on the mild side. You know, I was doing okay, maybe a little ticked off sometimes, but nothing too major. But then, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar, this thing happened in our world. And by March, I was kind of inching up the, la the ladder a little bit, right? I was finding myself a little bit more frustrated with a little bit more consistent, uh, kind of more consistency. And now that we're in uh, the month of what I, May, I think, we're in the month of May, and I have personally found myself kind of hanging out in like Hulk smash territory, right? I, I personally have been experiencing new uh, and, and different levels of anger, right? The, the multifaceted, uh, confusing, uh, tensions and frustrations of, uh, of uh, COVID-19 ha have, have led to anger uh, in really weird places. So, uh, for example, I, uh, the other day I, I decided to clean my house, right? That's kind of a way I've been coping with being stuck at home. I spent hours cleaning everything meticulously. And after I clean, what I like to do is, is sit down and, and look at the work that I've done, kind of survey what I have accomplished. And so I, I took a, a nice long look at these sweeper lines that I had achieved uh, in my living room. Right? I sat down, everything was perfect and calm. And I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I just really, I love me some sweeper lines in my, in my carpet. So I'm sitting there uh, enjoying you know, this perfection for a second, but there, there's, there's this problem. See, I, I'm not the only person that lives in my house. And so before too long, uh, my family walked in and boom, 
They footprinted up my sweeper lines. They messed them up. And now the thing is, you know, obviously they didn't have, they, they don't have huge giant feet and they, they weren't like walking around in, uh, in ink. But that's what it felt like to me. I felt like this thing that I really cared about and enjoyed had been messed up. And, 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 and so what happened to me as a result of this situation, I'm embarrassed to say just because these sweeper lines got messed up, I got, I got angry. And it seems like such a trivial, it seems like a trivial and ridiculous thing, right? But, but there I was in my living room and I was all angry at my family. I should be uh, happy and excited to see my wife and my kids walk in the room. But instead, this anger kind of took over. And, and, the, and the reality is, is that, you know, my anger actually has a negative impact on my entire family. My anger leads to relational disintegration. And when they walked in, instead of being overjoyed to see them, I, brus- I kind of bristled with frustration. When I'm angry, the, the reality is, is that my wife and, and my kids, they can feel it. It changes the dynamic of the room. And the thing is, this is just about sweeper lines. I mean, I get angry about all kinds of stuff all the time. I live in the real world and I experience different frustrations and I, and I result uh, in, in being kind of angry. And so the thing is, when I think about, when I think about my anger, and when I think about the, the painful, negative impact, I wonder why I allow myself to be overcome by anger. And I, I wonder if I'm alone in that or, or if, if maybe you can relate, you know. And so I, I want to pose this question to you and ask for you to really consider it. And here's the question. It's a simple one, but it's something really important, I think, to ask. Is what makes you angry? I would ask you to really think about this question. Maybe it's something trivial, like sweeper lines. Maybe not. And maybe, you know, there's a huge assortment of things to get angry about. And maybe you get angry with the person that cuts you off in traffic. I know that's a pretty common experience of anger. Angry with your boss. Angry with the person who got the promotion you deserved. Maybe you're angry with the person who canceled, (laughs) canceled on you last minute. Angry with your friends for not appreciating you. Maybe you get angry with your family for feeling like, you know what, they, they never accepted you. Or angry with your husband for not slowing down, listening, and really actually seeking to understand you. And maybe you get angry with your wife for not instantaneously agreeing with everything you say. Maybe you get angry with married, maybe you get angry with the married people for not appreciating what they have. Angry with your kids for not respecting you, angry with your parents for being too intrusive, angry for, with your ex for the way that they hurt you. Maybe you, 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 you know, you're really feeling angry with someone you love because uh, of how they're hurting themselves. There's so many different ways to be angry, especially now. Maybe you're angry with the media, angry with the government. Maybe you're angry with the liberals or angry with the conservatives. Maybe you're angry with, with social distancing or angry with not social distancing. Angry with wearing a mask, angry with not wearing a mask. Maybe angry with uh, COVID-19. Maybe you're angry with, with God. Right? There's a crazy huge spectrum of things that we could be upset about. And we all are faced with anger. We all experience it. What makes you angry? And when you really start to think about it, what impact does that anger have on your life? And I think this is an extremely important question. In fact, in a, in a recent uh, article, uh, U.S. News and World Report has this to say about anger. It says that anger has been linked to obesity, low self-esteem, migraines, drug and alcohol addiction, depression, sexual performance problems, increased heart attack risk, lower quality relationships, higher probability of abusing others emotionally or physically or both. 
higher blood pressure and stroke, increased anxiety, insomnia, mental or brain fog and fatigue. Anger can reduce the immune system's ability to fend off threats, leading to increased risk of infection and even possibly cancer. This article is saying that there is an incredibly dangerous and destructive power within anger. And this is actually something that the Bible has been teaching for thousands of years. And so we're going to jump in to see what the Bible has to say about this, that, man, there is a dangerous and destructive component in anger. But before we jump into the Bible, I just want to give credit where credit is due and let you know that a lot of what I'm about to share with you, I actually learned from a guy named Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor out in New York, and I heard a teaching he did on anger that just totally reshaped my understanding. So just mad props to Tim Keller. All right. So anger is destructive. It's terrible. It's bad. And this is what Proverbs has to say. It's at Proverbs 1430 says a heart at peace gives life to the body. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So there is some known relationship, some, uh, some relationship between anger and my physical health. In fact, the word that is translated envy is the Hebrew word kenah. Right? And envy here translated kenah, it means passionate zeal or a violent excitement that uh, is never satisfied ever. And one who is consumed with envy has no tranquility. Some, uh, some translations use the word passion here, or some use jealousy. But the idea is this, uh, this agitation, this, this, uh, this anger, it, it rots the bones. In fact, the New Living Translation uh, translates this verse, cannot is like cancer in the bones. Anger is overwhelmingly well-documented as being physically destructive. And it's not only dangerous uh, physically, right? It not only has the power to uh, increase my, you know, all these different tensions and mess up my immune system, but anger is also destructive relationally. Check this out. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. See, what, what happens when I get angry? What happens when we get angry? We start throwing words around like weapons. We wound and we hurt and we stir up conflict. And anger almost starts to fuel the escalation of, of conflict. And it leads to the destruction of relationships. So it's destructive physically. It's destructive relationally. But beyond that, and maybe worst of all, is that anger blinds us. It blinds us to itself. So Proverbs 19, 19 says, A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you'll have to do it again and again and again. Anger inhibits our ability to make wise choices at all. Anger draws us in to, to sort of a, a self-justifying cycle of, of outburst and denial. It's almost like an addictive substance. It's like we, we try to hide it, like we're, we're addicted to it. We try to hide it, but we justify it. And, and it's hard to admit when we're, when we're angry or when we're in it again, right? It's, it's easier, it's sometimes easier to admit that we're worried or that we're anxious or sorrowful or, or any other emotion, but anger, anger hides itself. It hides itself and, and you keep doing it again and again. When we're angry, when I'm angry, how often do we say stuff like, I'm not angry, I'm not angry, I'm just sticking up for myself, right? I'm, I'm not angry, I'm just, I'm just getting it off my chest. I'm just an activist. I'm just, I'm just looking out for, I'm not angry. I'm just looking out for justice. I'm not angry. I'm just a direct speaker. I'm not angry. I, I, tell, I just tell it like it is. I'm just a verbal processor. 
I just rocked it. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm just keeping it real. I just rocked the boat. We deny our anger. And because we deny our anger, we can have it. And it can be having this havoc in our, in our hearts and in our lives. We can have it and not address it. And we can justify it over and over and over again. And the angrier we are, the more these physical and these relational problems come up and, and really destroy us. And we just get angrier and angrier over and over again. And in order to keep up the fiction, right, in order to keep up the fiction that, hey, I, look, I'm just a verbal processor. In order to keep that up, we have to continue to, to go back to our anger. And we blame and we hurt others more and more. And the penalty we pay is very costly, right? The, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. And the penalty is the destruction of ourselves physically and, and relationally. It's, it's a pretty big bummer, right? Now, at this point, you know, maybe, maybe you're thinking like, okay, I get it. Anger's bad. It's destructive. Uh, you know, it's hurtful. It's, it's not, I get it. I get it. Like, don't, don't be angry. Like, well, this should be the end of the, ser- the, the sermon here. A- anger is bad. Don't be, don't be angry. But uh, what we've said uh, in this series is that emotions are from God and are good. And what we've been exploring up to this point in our conversation is a sort of miscalibrated anger, right? We've said that since sin entered the world, our emotions have been miscalibrated. And yeah, that kind of blow-up, destructive anger is bad. But what the Bible teaches is that its deepest root, at its core, anger is good. And the question is, how could, that be? How could something that is so destructive and terrible so often be good? Well, let's take a look at Proverbs uh, chapter 16 here. It says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. See, the biblical ideal for anger isn't the kind of a blow-up anger that we're all probably really familiar with, right? It's this blow-up anger that comes in and destroys and, and seeks to just wreak havoc. But it also, we might think, oh, the, 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 the alternative is just no anger. But the reality is, is that it's not no anger either because the Bible says whoever is slow to anger, that there are appropriate times when anger shows up. So it's not blow up anger and it's not no anger. The biblical ideal is slow anger. And the Bible teaches that sometimes it is important to get angry. We need to arrive at that anger in the right and healthy and God honoring way. In fact, there's another part of the Bible that actually commands us to be angry. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Now, this, this, is, a, this is a command. It's, it's an imperative. This isn't saying if you happen to fall into the mistake of being angry, you know, try to get out of it. Or like some, you know, some people might get angry, but, but don't be one of those people. It says, be angry and do not sin. Blow-up anger is obviously a sin, right? Just throwing a tantrum is, is never the right move. But sometimes no anger is actually a sin as well. If we don't allow ourselves to be angry for the things that we should be angry about, it's no good. In fact, it reminds me of a quote by John Chrysostom who says, He that is angry without cause sins. If you just blow up for no reason, no good. But he who is not angry when there's cause since the unreasonable patient for unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. He's saying not blow up anger, not no anger, but slow anger. He's saying that there are 
obviously times or situations where anger is not appropriate. Like an example might be when your sweeper lines get messed up. But there are also situations where the total absence of anger is not right. And the reason why slow anger is appropriate and is right and is healthy is because that is how God is. Anger is actually an attribute of God. In fact, there's a, a scene in, in uh, Exodus 34 where God is interacting with uh, Moses. Moses is a really important uh, character in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. And Moses really wants to understand God. He wants to see God clearly and, and figure, what, figure out what God's all about. And so God actually passes by Moses and describes to him what, what he is about and who God is. God self-describes himself in this way. And it's Exodus 34, 6. And he says, And he passed in front of Moses. God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God himself exhibits anger, but it is slow. God gets angry, but it's a slow anger. And maybe, you know, even this idea of God being angry is something that you've struggled with uh, in your life. And maybe you are um, investigating Jesus or you're not sure about the whole God thing. And maybe you've thought to yourself, you know, I, I, this, is, this is my beef. This is my trouble with the, whole, with the whole God thing. Because I believe in a God of love, not a God who gets angry. But what I would really uh, ask you to consider and to think about is that it's very important to understand that if you have a God who never gets angry, you actually don't have a God of love. Because if someone never ever gets angry about anything, if someone never gets angry about anything, they actually don't love anything. If you truly love, if you have a deep, serious, true and abiding love for something, and you see that thing you love be threatened, if you see some threat come to that thing that you love, you get angry. If you're totally indifferent, you don't really love that thing. In fact, there's this book, Hope Has Its Reasons, and uh, Rebecca Pipper puts it this way. She says, think how we feel when we, fe when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Think about the feeling that happens in our hearts. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hate is indifference. The more a father loves, genuinely loves his son, the more he's angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in the son. And she says, I, if I, a flawed, self-centered woman, right? We, we as broken people feel that, that experience, that emotion. She says, if I, a flawed, self-centered woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more a morally perfect God who made them. See, love always has the potential to get angry. And that's why the Bible says God is so frequently angry. He's not angry because he's just flying off the handle. He's angry because he loves us. And he sees that we are constantly threatened. We're threatened by the trouble of this world. And we're threatened by our own miscalibrated emotions. See, here's the thing about anger. Anger in its uncorrupted, original, pure sense, godly, biblical, righteous anger is just love. It's love moved to deal with a threat to something you love. And this is the basic uh, point of, of, our, of, of my talk right now, is that anger is love in motion 
toward a threat to that which you love. And this is so important to understand. We, we, we misunderstand anger because of our uh, miscalibrated uh, emotions. But anger, the reason why anger is so explosive and so destructive is because it exists to defend the thing I love. And, and you got to think about Jesus. If you think that, man, Jesus was without sin, Jesus was perfect, but he also got angry, he gives us kind of a paradigm to understand what anger, how anger should, should be. He's angry at the right things because he loves the right things. So there's this scene in John chapter 2 where Jesus is furious about people selling things in, in the temple. And he makes a whip of cords to drive them out. And he's really upset. John chapter 2, verse 16. To those who sold doves, he said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. The question is, what did Jesus love? What, what was he trying to defend? The thing that Jesus loves and the thing that Jesus is trying to defend is the holiness of his father. The sacred um, honor of God, that, that, that the God of the universe and his holiness is threatened, moves Jesus to anger because he loves that and he wants to defend it. Or there's a scene in a synagogue uh, right before Jesus is about to heal a man with a withered hand. And there are religious leaders around kind of watching and, and murmuring to themselves about that. And this is what, this is what Jesus says. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. See, Jesus loves everybody in that, in that room. But some of their hearts were threatened by stubbornness. And what leads Jesus to anger is his love of people's hearts. It's his, it's his love and it's his concern and his care about their hearts that leads to anger. Or even the, the famous scene um, with Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus, in, in John chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, and, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. See, Jesus, his close friend Lazarus had died, and, and everybody there was mourning the loss. It was a really sad scene. People were really bummed out. And, and deeply moved right here, it actually has the connotation of like snorting with anger, snorting with fury. And the question is, what does Jesus love that causes him to be angry? What is it that he's trying to defend, that he cares about, and that he sees a threat against? What Jesus loves is life itself. And when, and when the life or the vitality of someone he loves is threatened, man, it causes this anger. And when that which Jesus loves is threatened, he's moved to anger. Jesus can be angry without sinning because he loves the right things. And so for Jesus, and this is, again, kind of the central theme of what I'm trying to communicate today. For Jesus and for all of us, anger and love are inseparably linked together. There is an unbreakable chain, a titanium unbreakable chain between our anger and our love. That's, that's, if you hear nothing else that, I, that I'm saying today, please remember that anger and love are linked together, that they are linked together in this way. This is how anger and love are linked, that when there is a threat to what I love, I get angry, right? When there's a threat to whatever it is that I love, I get angry. So for example, let's take my, my wife as an example. This is actually a picture of us on our wedding day. She has a perfectly symmetrical face and no lips, but that's all right. So I love her, okay? I, my wife, I love my wife. 
And, and if there was ever a threat to that which I love, my wife, if there was ever a threat to this genuine object of my love, the result is I would want to defend my wife because I love her. I would be angry. I would be compelled to defend her against that threat. And that's a good thing. I, I wouldn't really be loving my wife if I didn't get angry about some threat against her. Or think about a child, right? This is my firstborn son. If, if one of my kids was threatened or bullied or in some danger, right? If there was a threat to that which I love, I would be moved to defend that which I love because I love them. When there's a threat to what I love, I get angry. Or let me put it, I'm just trying to put this in as many different ways as I can because I think this is the most important thing, is that anger is always linked to what I love. Anytime you're angry, ever, anytime you're experiencing the emotion of anger, there is a direct, unbreakable link to what you love. And if I want to know what I really care about or what I really love, then I have to think about what makes me angry and ask what is being threatened. What am I trying to defend? Understanding anger in this, in this way is so, is so important. And I'm telling you, even over the past week as I've been thinking about this, it's been changing the way I view my own anger. And so I would challenge you, and this is just kind of my desperate plea, challenge you to examine your own anger, to look at the things in your heart that most anger you and ask the question, man, what am I defending? What is the thing I love that is being threatened? What am I defending? And sometimes it's really healthy, right? It's, it's, it's important to love a family member or to love good things like social justice or whatever. But sometimes it might be something that's unhealthy. It might be an emotion that is miscalibrated. For example, maybe you're angry about a, a criticism from someone in your family. You feel like, you know, just that, that little word that they said always kind of puts you over the edge. And maybe you can trace that anger back to, to a miscalibrated love and need of approval. Maybe what you love more than anything in the world is approval. And when there's a threat to that approval, it results in your anger. The perceived threat to that which you love makes you angry. Or maybe you're, you know, again, angry about the person that they got the promotion instead of you. And what that reveals is that you genuinely and desperately love status in the company or whatever, that the status is being threatened, so I'm angry. Maybe you're angry about your parents having you, you know, help with chores around the house, which is cutting into your screen time, right? It's cutting into your video game time. And maybe what you really love, when you look at that anger and you trace it back, maybe what you really love is comfort and entertainment. And there's a threat to that which you love, which is making you angry. And again, maybe you're angry because your spouse does something differently than you do it. And, and, and the thing that you love is control. You're like, no, you have to load the dishwasher like this. This is how you do it, right? And it's a, there's a threat to your control, which is what you love, and that makes you angry. And I think that's that threat to control and, and that threat to comfort in some ways is what made me angry about the sweeper lines, right? I felt like I could control and keep things comfortable in the way that I wanted. And those things were threatened, and that made me angry, right? And so what I, I could go on and on and on. Um, but the question is, what are you defending? What do you love? And are these things, are the things that you love and are defending the things that Jesus wants you to love and to defend? I think a really good question to, to ask might be, well, what, what did Jesus love? What does Jesus love? And when we think about approval, man, the Bible says that Jesus was despised and rejected, that he 
absolutely did not try to defend his approval. He allowed himself to be despised and rejected. And when we think about status, man, the, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the God of the universe and that though he was God, he didn't count equality with God as the thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took the lowly position of a servant. He died on a criminal's death. He wasn't concerned about status or defending it. Comfort. Jesus, Jesus said, man, foxes and birds have places to sleep, but I have no place to lay my head. Jesus wasn't trying to defend comfort. That wasn't something that he loved or control. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to his father, not my will, but yours be done. I want to give away uh, my control. And so these aren't things that Jesus loves. These aren't things that compel Jesus to anger. But the question is, what does Jesus love? What, what, what does he love enough to get angry about and to defend? And what I'd like to share with you is that Jesus loves you. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times. Maybe you've never heard it. But it's a really important and true, eternally true and important statement. Jesus loves you. He cares about you. And the greatest irony ever, the greatest irony is that what poses the greatest threat to that which Jesus loves is actually the sin within you and the sin within me, the sin within all of us. The sin within us is what threatens us. That is what Jesus loves. Jesus loves you and the sin within us poses a threat to us. In fact, Ephesians says, all of us also lived among them at one time. Among them is referring to those who are distant from God. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Our flesh is like our, our sinful uh, nature. And so what this is saying is that our miscalibrated emotions destroy our bodies and our relationships and everything, right? The, the sin within us is causing this, this, this trauma and this, and this terrible stuff. And it is a threat. Our sin is a threat to that which God loves. And look how God responds. If we see all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. It says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We were deserving of God's anger. Not because God just has it out to get us. Not because he, he just wants to fly off the handle and is looking for somebody to, you know, to really mess, mess with. He has real and legitimate anger and his real and legitimate and sinless anger is against that which threatens us. And, and, and emotions, as we've said, emotions are intended to move us. And so what God's anger moves him to do is actually something really, really surprising. The, the threat against that which God loves is our sin. But God's anger moves him in this way. But because of his great mercy, right, because of his great mercy and his, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And so this verse is actually talking about what's called the gospel. And the reality is, is that God is love eternally. God is love. And he created you out of a desire to have a relationship with you but that sin entered the world and caused a fracture between humanity and God. We've chosen to do our own thing and to deviate from God's desires for us. And that sin renders us incapable of relationship with God unless he does something about that. And what God does is he sends his one and only son to come to live a perfect life and to die a criminal's death on a cross 
so that we could have renewed relationship with God if we embrace that. And this is what this verse is saying. Even though our sin messes us up and God hates that which threatens us, he provides a solution. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. What Jesus did on the cross releases God's anger against the sin which threatened to destroy us. And so the cross is the boldest expression of God's perfect love and his sinless anger. And the greatest resource that we have for recalibrating our anger and for coming to an understanding of what healthy anger is, the greatest resource we have for reclaiming our anger is the cross. See, Jesus, he loves you. And he proved his love by defending you against the greatest threat. He wasn't moved to defend his approval or his status or his comfort or his control. God's anger against sin moved him to sacrifice. It moved him to pour himself out so that he could uh, defend and embrace that which he loves. And so what this means for us is that we have to recalibrate our understanding of anger. It reminds me of a quote um, from this old biblical commentator, Matthew Henry, who says, if we would be angry and not sin, that's what Ephesians says, be angry and don't sin. And Henry says, if we would be angry and not sin, we must be angry at nothing but sin. The anger that we should have should line up with, with the anger of God. And what he's angry at is the things that destroy us and that harm us, our sin. We should be angry at nothing but sin, and we should be more jealous for the glory of God than for any interest or reputation of our own. And I know that statement is a mouthful, right? I recognize it's, it's no small order. And I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus. You know, I personally am really trying to follow Jesus, but I can't, I can't do this perfectly. I fail every day about sweeper lines, about getting cut off in traffic, about all kinds of things all the time. But one thing we can do, and one thing you can do, is when you feel anger welling up within you, and when you feel it starting to boil over, you need to slow down. Slow down and recognize, recognize and see the link. Recognize that this anger is linked to what I love and ask the question, what am I defending? What am I defending? What do I love that's being threatened right now? What am I defending? Is, is this something God wants me to defend? Pray. In, in the moment of anger, in the moment of frustration, pray and ask God to make it clear if your anger is calibrated correctly. You know, the Bible says, be angry and don't sin. And that is hard to do without God's help. Cry out to him and ask him to help you to do that thing. And remember, this is, this is, this is it. Our love and our anger is linked. And if we have a correct love, if we love the right things, our anger is going to be the kind of anger that God wants us to have. And so I would ask you to imagine what your life might look like if, if your anger was, was recalibrated. If in light of what Jesus has done for you, you were willing to sacrifice instead of defend your own status or comfort or control. And the thing is, there are probably a lot of you out there. I don't know where you're at right now. If you're in your living room or you're in your car or wherever you're at, looking at a TV screen or a phone or whatever, or, or listening, I don't know, I don't know where, where you're, what you're dealing with right now. But I want you to know that the anger that you faced up to this point and the pain and the heartache, man, it's not too late. 
God can heal you. He can, he can restore. He can restore relationships. He can bring things back into, into clarity and harmony. God wants to recalibrate. He wants to reclaim your anger. And he can do that. It's not too late for you. But this is the God. This is the God of the universe. This is how God describes himself. And this is the God that you can cry out to in your moments of anger. And even now, you can cry out to him. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I just want to thank you for who you are and what you do. I thank you for the emotion of anger that you uh, perfectly display for us what healthy anger looks like, Jesus. And that, and that we get to, to see that with such clarity, Father. I, I just ask that you help us to embrace it and to engage with it. And for those of us that struggle with uh, feeling angry or unhealthy kinds of anger, God, I ask that you help us to, to reclaim our anger and to recalibrate it to what you want, to help us see that you are a God who doesn't have no anger, but also doesn't have blow-up anger. You are slow to anger. Help us to see what that looks like in our lives. Help us to embrace and to follow you. We praise you and we thank you again for who you are and what you do. Jesus, you're the king. Thank you. Amen.